Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of the Shema Podcast. You know, Hanukkah is around the corner, and I want to make sure we are properly prepared for this holiday coming up. So I need to find, as always, who would be the right rabbis to bring on. This year, I had the opportunity, the privilege of teaching a finance investment class at the yeshiva at Hymish to four brilliant young men. And one of the things we covered in this class was the calculation of present value, net present value, discounted cash flow. And as these young men were taking the test, which by the way, they all aced, I was beginning to think about their present value calculation from the perspective of the Almighty, just looking at the trajectory these young men are on, their dedication to Torah study, their enthusiasm for their Yiddishkeit. I ran the calculations in my mind and knew I was standing in the presence of greatness. And I realized these are the young men that I wanted to come on and teach us what we can learn from the holiday of Hanukkah and bring those lessons with us into our current struggles. Welcome to the Shema Podcast, the podcast for the perplexed, where Torah insights intertwined through personal stories, as well as interviews with leading Torah scholars, demonstrate the empowering qualities of Torah and mitzvot. For more great Torah learning through Torch, the Torah Outreach Center of Houston, go to torchweb.org. Now to the show. So, Joelman, thank you so much for coming on to the Shmal Podcast. If we could just go around the room, starting with you, Yehuda, and just tell a little bit of the audience about yourself, your interest, get a little insight into your world. Hi, I'm Yehuda. I like playing football. And what are you studying right now? I'm studying Gemara and Mishnabura. You're next, Ozzy. Tell the audience about yourself. Hello, my name is Ozzy, and I like music and drawing. And And you're studying the same thing? You guys are all taking the... All right, beautiful. Sholy? Hi, I'm Sholy, and I like basketball and football. That's it. Uh, hi, I'm Monty, and uh, I like coins. <laughs> oh, you're like a coin collector? Yeah. So, gentlemen, all right, here is my initial question. Hanukkah is a mitzvah. However, it's nowhere written in the Torah. I've never seen, of all the parshas I've studied, where Hashem commands us to light the menorah. So can someone explain to me how we're fulfilling a mitzvah when it's not directed to us in the Torah. Well, not only are there 613 mitzvahs from the Torah, there are also seven other mitzvahs from our rabbis. Okay. Now, does the Torah give them the authority? Does Hashem give them the authority in the Torah to to create these additional seven mitzvahs? Well, take like muksa, for example. It doesn't actually say it in the Torah that you're not allowed to do that, but our rabbis tell us that you're not allowed to do that. So in that instance, what I understand is there is a mitzvah for the rabbis to create fences around the Torah, correct? correct? Which is where that would fall into. But where do they get the ability to create this mitzvah that happened for an event that happened in the future? Well, it does hint it in the Torah, a little bit. Okay, explain. For example, we know that Hanukkah is on the 25th of the Hebrew month of Kislev. Okay. And if you start counting from Barashas, the beginning of the Torah, 25 words, 
you will actually find the word or, which in the Torah's language means light. Wow, amazing. Okay, so it's hinted out there. The Almighty did give the sages the ability to add seven mitzvos when they knew the time would be right. And one of those, since obviously at that point in time, the events of Hanukkah, the Almighty knew would come, right? Because he's outside of time. He knew when the time is right, you'll know when to create this mitzvah for the Jewish people. Is that yes. correct? Okay, fantastic. So let's bring some more backstory. I sort of summarized it, trying to, to bring the context and the fact that this is a battle that we fight year in and year out, which is why the Almighty wants us to observe it and learn from it. But I think it'd be great for me and the listening audience if Ozzy, Sholi, if you guys could sort of maybe come together and tell the historical accounting of what took place back at this time. Okay, so 2,000 years ago, during the time of the Second Temple, Antiochus and the Greeks ruled Jerusalem. They were very bad towards the Jews. They robbed them of their possessions and didn't let them learn Torah. They didn't let them give brismila. They didn't let them celebrate Rosh Chodesh, which is the first of the month. Because if they couldn't keep Rosh Chodesh, then they can't celebrate the holidays because they don't have any concept of time. They didn't let them have doors because they wanted them to be exposed to society, which would slowly demoralize them. They even sacrificed a pig in the Holy Temple to make a disgrace. The Jews would have to secretly learn Torah, and when the Greeks would check on them, they would take out their dreidels and act like they were playing with them. Matasio decided that the Jews can't live like this anymore. He took his son Yehuda and Maccabee, and they made a plan, so they went around collecting Jews for their army, the Maccabees. They had no weapons or armor. They stood no chance against the Greeks, but they had faith in God. So what happened next? So the Greeks step in, and they say, you know, we, we don't want you to study Torah. I didn't know this. They, want, they didn't want them to have doors on their home. It sort of reminds me of now is we don't have our doors open to the non-Jewish world, but we have TVs in our home, which are doorways to the non-Jewish world, which are influencing us just to say in the same way the Greeks wanted to go about it. So what happens? So they assemble an army. Yeah. What happens next? Antiochus sent an army of men to wipe out the Maccabees. But they were defeated. So he sent an even stronger army of men. But they were also defeated. So he sent an army of 40,000 men to kill them. So they hid in the mountains to buy time to pray to Hashem. After a series of battles, they won. Also, during the war, Yehudas, the daughter of a priest, was assigned to marry the Greek general, which would prohibit her from marrying anyone else. So she gave him cheese to make him thirsty and heavy milk to make him tired. After he fell asleep, she cut his head off and went through the kingdom with the general's head on a sword, and the Greeks trembled in fear. So in honor of the miracles that took place, we light the menorah to commemorate the miracles that they found the pure jug of oil untouched and sealed by the priest, and it lit for eight days. So we learn from here, you don't need to be strong to win a war. All you need is faith in Hashem. And some cheese and some wine. Yep. <laughs> All right. <And> milk. <laughs> So that is an insane miracle because what was the size of the Jewish army versus the Greek army? Like in relationship, do you know? Big difference. Our army was just a bunch of like, What's the takeaway message there? That you don't need to be like big and tough. Like if you don't have faith in Hashem and you don't trust Hashem that will help you, then you have no chance. And just the opposite, if you do have trust in Hashem, correct? All right, beautiful. So 
I have a question for each of you. Why are we lighting the menorah for eight nights when there was really only a miracle for seven nights? The oil burning for one day was not a miracle by itself. That happens all the time. So why did we celebrate it for eight nights? I'd love to start with you, Muddy, and have, go around the room and have everyone sort of explain that to me. So one of the answers is that the oil only used one-eighth of the actual amount that it should have used. So that's why even the first day was still a miracle that it didn't use all of the oil. That makes total sense. I never thought about that. Shola, do you have an answer? So it was it was seven days, but it was also a miracle for of finding the the oil. So we add another day to make it eight days. Okay, perfect. Ozzy, you got an answer for us? We celebrate eight days because seven is the number of nature and connects to all different types of things in nature. For example, seven days of the week, seven layers of skin, seven musical notes, and a bunch of other stuff. Okay, so it represents physicality. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. And the Greeks focused on the body and all the physical stuff, like sports and like, if you've ever seen like a Greek statue, they're usually not wearing anything because they were so focused on like the body and everything. Right. So we're showing them that really you should focus more on the spiritual stuff and connecting to Hashem in a spiritual sense. Not through a physical sense. Okay. And the number eight represents spirituality. It's like we give a child its bris on the yeah. eighth so day. We specifically don't do sevens. We specifically go over seven because we don't want to like bring that message. Amazing. Wonderful. Yehuda, you have an answer? It is true that the oil only lasted for seven days. But what people don't really realize is the fact that oil burns on a daily basis, that itself is a miracle. People just take it as granted. But really, that Hashem is letting you do that too. Beautiful. All right, that's great. That cleared up a really big question for me. So now let's get into what are the actual mitzvot of Hanukkah? Is it eating latkes, getting presents? What exactly is the requirements in order to fulfill this mitzvah? Mari, can you answer this for us? So there are three main mitzvahs of Hanukkah. One is to light candles for eight days outside your home. One is to say hello and... Another is to say Alanisim in Davani. Okay. So explain what Halal is, because it's something that was new to me when I, until I moved here in this community. The mix with the say Halal is to celebrate and praise Hashem that we got back the base of Mikdash and the miracle of winning the war against a way stronger nation. Okay, great. So it's just some set prayers to put it in the forefront of our mind, to praise Hashem, thank Hashem. Okay. And explain the other prayers you mentioned. So you say Alanisim in the middle of the 18 blessings and also in when you bench and you bless Hashem after eating. You say it to thank Hashem for the miracles that He did for us. Okay, so just three different areas, either when we're benching in the middle, the middle of our davening or at the end where we're inserting this, these additional prayers to show our appreciation, gratitude, and thanks to the Almighty. All right, fantastic. So how does someone, you know, lighting a menorah? I always get confused. We always get this big debate here. Put them in left to right or right to left. Which, which way do we light them? I always need my memory refreshed, and just in case anyone out there in listening audience 
are maybe as forgetful as I am, can you tell us what is the way to do it? We're staring at our menorah. How do we put the candles in and which direction do we light them? So you put the candles in from right to left and every day you add one. But when you light it, you light the newest one first. So you write from you light it from from left to right, but you put it you put them in. You start from right to left. And why is that? Because we as Jews start from right to left, but when we light from from left to right, so we go up in kedusha because right is kedusha. So you go from left to right to go up in kedusha. I didn't know that. So right right symbolizes. Moving in that direction symbolizes an increase in holiness. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you so much, gentlemen. I want to go around the room, have each of you sort of share with the listening audience and me some lessons we can take from this holiday and that we can take with us throughout the year. I mean, I don't think the Almighty wants us to take time, eight days out of the year, light a manure, and then move on with our life. He wants us to gain something from this experience that will make us fulfill our mission here successfully. So I'll just go around the room and Yehuda, if you could share one really good idea of, of what we can learn from this holiday and keep it cognizant of that throughout the year to make us have a more successful year. Well, I'd like to say that just like the Maccabees were outnumbered and small in size and there's, there's, there was no way that they were able to beat the Greeks. I mean, the Greeks, like Ozzy said, had around 40,000 men. And the Maccabees were much smaller in size. So, just like Hashem could make them win a war, that was unexpectedly surprising. Yom Hashem could, you know, give you whatever you want. Okay, so you're saying that we should not, as Jews throughout the year, when we have a challenge that seems insurmountable, we should always remember that if we're serving the will of the Almighty and praying to Him for assistance, He'll allow us to be victorious. Beautiful. Ozzy, you have an idea for us? So, I was working in my Rebbe's warehouse when I found a stale fortune cookie. So obviously, I have to open the cookie because... That's the best part. Right. So I opened it up, and it said, all the darkness in the world can't put out one candle. So I'm like, what does that mean? So I thought about it, and then I came up with an answer. I think it was trying to say that all the darkness around us, like all the impurities and different things around us like that like are not so holy, and they're like, that can affect our neshama, like they can like immoralize us like the Greeks tried to do. Um, but all the darkness can't put out one candle, which means like the one candle in each and every one of us that keeps us going and going. So all the darkness can't put out one yid. Beautiful. And that's why we probably put the menorah out in front of our window as a way of reminding us too to make sure that we're shining the light of our neshama and holiness to the rest of the world to set an example on and represent Torah and God in the ideals that we represent to the rest of the world. Sholi, words of wisdom. Just like the Maccabees weren't scared to stand for what's right, we shouldn't be scared to stand for what's right, and we should stand up for ourselves. Beautiful. Nice. Mali? When you look at the menorah, what does a fire need to light? 
It needs oil and it needs a wick. A wick is when you light it, right away it's uncontrolled fire and just you can't control it and it just goes however it wants. And the oil, if you try to light oil, won't light. You need the wick so to light the oil. So this is like our neshamas in our on our body. Our body is the wick that, uh, and the oil is our neshama. The the wick, if we just have it without the oil, it's gonna light bright for a few seconds or minutes, but it won't last. When you have the oil, the wick is a vessel to allow the oil to light. It's the same thing with our with our body that allows us to uh, allows our neshama to do mitzvahs. That's a beautiful analogy. I love that. Thank you so much. Okay, so where did Lockies and donuts, where did that come in? Were the Maccabees eating a dozen donuts while they were hanging out in the cave? Where did that start? We know that one of the big miracles of Hanukkah is that we found the oil that lasted eight days. And that's why we eat latkes and donuts because they're very oily things. Like, you have to deep fry them in oil, so. Mine's and, a, if, and if they're not oily, you're doing something wrong. Okay. So, we have latkes and donuts to, and oily foods to remember the miracle with the oil. Okay. So what else would you gentlemen like to share? Some people have the minhag to eat, like cheese and milk-like foods because of the... Yehudas, and when she gave the general cheese. Jillman, I want to thank you so much for coming on, sharing your wisdom with the audience, giving us the information we needed to make this Hanukkah very meaningful and bring the light of the menorah with us throughout the year. Thank you, Jillman, for coming on the Shmuel Podcast. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Torch so they can continue to spread Torah wisdom to the world by making a donation at torchweb.org and clicking Donate in the top right corner of the page. And if you would like to get in contact with our host with comments, suggestions for future topics of learning, or questions for him or his guest rabbis, you may email him at president at torchweb.org.